Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Good morning and welcome back to Health Bite, the podcast created to give you small actionable bites to support you towards greater physical, mental, and emotional well-being. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Yudin, and today we're going to talk about sleep. In my practice, I define sleep as a nutrient, as a vitamin, because it is so essential to our health and well-being. But sleep is a nutrient that we take for granted. Even before the pandemic, lack of sleep was a major public health crisis. And now even more so, as our schedules have shifted, so too did our sleep. Many of us have had later nights, as our daytime routines deteriorated, and many of us have not returned to a healthy sleep schedule despite the return of our early mornings, school drop-offs, and getting back to work. Sleep is really essential to every aspect of our health and well-being, and sleep deprivation can result in a hunger, both emotionally and physiologically. In fact, in my book, Hungry for More, Stories in Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out, I tell a story of Tanya, who comes to see me in my office, whose state of sleep deprivation led to metabolic dysfunction as well as weight gain, not to mention irritability, and ultimately was impacting her work life, her family life, and her other relationships. So let's dig into the science of sleep. First, let's talk about the link between sleep and our mood. We all know that sleep affects our mood. You may notice that after a night of poor sleep, that you're more irritable, short-tempered, and more susceptible to stress, but it goes deeper than that. Chronic sleep deprivation and dysfunction actually increases anxiety and clinical depression. And anxiety and depression also have negative effects on sleep, resulting in this kind of vicious negative cycle. So remember the link between sleep and mood. Shortly, we'll talk about the ways in which we can empower ourselves to make positive and impactful change. The second link I wanted to discuss is between sleep and cognition. You may have also noticed that after a poor nights of sleep, you're less focused, uh, less mentally sharp. And in fact, sleep does impact cognition in a really concrete way, not only short-term, but also long-term cognition. Sleep is a time when the brain engages in kind of housekeeping functions. It reviews the events of the day and processes the data that was received. It's also involved in consolidating memories and learning. So in the short term, lack of sleep will affect your memory and your mental acuity. But the data shows that sleep is also critical to brain health in the long term as well. In fact, in one recent study, it revealed that people who slept six hours or less in their 50s and in their 60s were more likely to go on to develop dementia later in life. 
And yes, chronic sleep loss is a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Another study showed that sleep deprivation leads to increase in tau protein in the bloodstream. Now, tau protein is a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease. And in this study, when young, healthy men were deprived of just one night of sleep, so one night of sleep deprivation, they had higher levels of tau in their bloodstream than when they had full and uninterrupted night of sleep. We also know that sleep deprivation affects metabolic function and is associated with not only weight gain, but insulin resistance, which is a precursor of type 2 diabetes. There is one study, the Nurses Health Study, in which they took a group of nurses and they followed them for, I think what was 40 years, and looked at a bunch of different lifestyle parameters, one of which was sleep and the impact on weight and BMI or body mass index. And they found that nurses who got five or less hours of sleep started off at a higher weight at the beginning of the study as compared to those who got six or seven hours. And that category had a higher weight as compared to those who got eight or more hours of sleep per night. And when they followed these nurses over the course of 40 years, they found that not only did they have a higher baseline weight, but they had more accelerated weight gain over the course of time. And this was, again, a function of sleep, such that those individuals who got five or six hours of sleep had much more steady weight gain than those who had slept eight hours or more, clearly linking sleep deprivation to weight gain. There are other studies that have shown the impact of sleep on hunger hormones. And so in prior episodes of the Health Bite podcast, I've talked to you about the physiology and anatomy of hunger. I recommend that you go back and listen to some of those if you're interested in the science and the hormones behind our hungers. But essentially, our bodies will release hormones in response to nutrient intake to signal hunger or fullness to the brain. For example, the stomach releases this hormone called ghrelin, and that hormone or protein travels up into the brain and signals to the brain that you are hungry. And after you eat, this ghrelin level drops down and is no longer signaling hunger to the brain. What happens with as little as two nights of sleep deprivation is that ghrelin levels go up by almost 30%. So this hormone that is signaling hunger to your brain that really is, is and should respond to food or nutrient intake is also responding to lack of sleep. Another hormone named leptin that is released by our fat cells, this one actually signals energy sufficiency or fullness. This hormone level drops when we are sleep deprived. So again, the hormone that is signaling to the brain that we're full goes down with two nights of sleep deprivation. And then when they survey these individuals, they find that not only are they hungrier as a result, but they are hungrier for more palatable, aka yummier foods. I always joke that when I was an undergrad at UCLA, 
and, you know, at times would pull all nighters, I would wake up with this crazy desire for donuts. And that wasn't me talking. That was my hunger hormones. And the studies really show that. So sleep deprivation is closely and physiologically linked to weight gain. In those same studies, they have shown that sleep deprivation also results in insulin resistance. When individuals are sleep deprived, insulin levels go up, suggesting that it is not as effective in managing your blood sugar. And insulin resistance, of course, is a precursor to type 2 diabetes. So sleep, involved in mood, involved in cognition, involved in metabolic function, And sleep is also involved in healthy immune function. Not only is sleep involved in all these areas of homeostasis in the body, but sleep dysregulation results in a heightened, rather, sympathetic drive. So remember, your sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight aspect of your nervous system, the part of your nervous system that gets you ready to flee from tigers. And that's what it was used for kind of from an evolutionary perspective, but sleep uh, deprivation and chronic insomnia does result in this chronic state of heightened sympathetic tone. And this high stress state actually dampens the immune system as does insulin resistance, which we already discussed. Another interesting point is that During sleep, our bodies create a certain kind of certain kind of protein rather called cytokines. Now, these proteins are released by our bodies in order to fight infection and sleep deprivation results not only in a reduction in these sleep fighting proteins or cytokines, but also in a reduction in the antibody response. And yes, studies have linked Uh, chronic insomnia and sleep deprivation to a greater susceptibility or risk of developing infections, including viruses, which of course is so top of mind for us these days. So enough said, it goes without saying that sleep is essential to restoring our body and critical to maintaining our body's homeostasis in maintaining mood cognition, metabolic function, and immune function, among other things. Contrary to what we think, sleep is not just our body shutting down. Sleep is actually restorative and repairing our body. So it has, again, an important and critical function to maintaining our body's health and well-being. So how much sleep do we really need? Well, The amount of sleep needed does go down with age. So any of us who've had kids, we know that infants are always sleeping, as are our puppies. And infants require up to 16 hours of sleep per day. By the time we reach school age, school age children require anywhere from 9 to 12 hours. For teens, it drops down to about 10 hours. And for adults, we need seven to eight hours of good uninterrupted sleep per night. And so let's make a point about sleep quality, right? Because it's not only sleep duration, but also the quality of our sleep, which can be affected by organic causes. Obstructive sleep apnea, for example, can disrupt sleep and sleep architecture. 
restless leg syndrome is another organic cause of sleep dysfunction. Alcohol can affect our sleep architecture and result in little micro awakenings that we may not even be aware of, but are affecting or is affecting sleep architecture in a way that is diminishing the quality of sleep. Whenever quality is affected, the restorative property of sleep is also affected. So keep that in mind. So now let's talk about strategy because Health Bite, of course, is not only about educating you, but also empowering you with small actionable bites. So let's address the easy stuff, the low hanging fruit, as we like to call it. First off, let's make sleep a priority. If you've deprioritized your sleep, let's give it the attention it deserves. And that requires being intentional about our sleep. My first recommendation is, as always, create a routine. Routines are so important in really everything that we seek to achieve. Set a regular bedtime and set a regular wake time. And I know that it's difficult weekends versus weekdays, but try your best to stick to it. If you are intentional and make your sleep a priority, then you're less likely to dismiss your sleep for other activities. And it may require saying no sometimes to certain plans or certain activities. And that is okay. Again, when you make your sleep a priority, you are intentional about maintaining it. My second tip is engage in a soothing activity before bed. Create a relaxing ritual or routine before bedtime. Maybe a warm shower or reading a good book. Maybe you want to take a crack at meditation, listening to soothing noises, or journaling before bed, which is something that I love to do. Something to bring your mind and body down to a more restful and relaxed state. Along those lines, manage your screens. Screen time can impact your sleep in multiple ways. First, of course, is that the light emitted from your screens impair the natural release and production of melatonin, that hormone that helps lull our bodies to sleep. But more importantly, I think is the emotional toll of screen time. Exposure to social media, to the news, to our inbox can all impact our mood. It can cause anxiety. I know it does for me, which of course is not conducive to good, healthful, high quality sleep. Manage your screens, move your body, get exercise. So people who exercise routinely do have not only better quality of sleep, better sleep architecture. Exercise can be tricky though, because for some people, if they exercise before bedtime or too close to bedtime, it can actually be too activating. So my pro tip is get up early and exercise first thing in the morning. If that doesn't work for you, try it later in the day, but be mindful of how it may have a negative effect on your sleep if it's done too late. Good sleep hygiene includes many of the things that we've already discussed. We talked about limiting alcohol because it can affect sleep quality and architecture. Caffeine also can affect sleep, of course. We use caffeine to help with wakefulness. It actually 
uh, produces a hormone in the brain that blocks those sleepy receptors in the brain. And so if you drink caffeine too late in the day, those receptors are blocked and don't allow for restful sleep. I recommend that we really limit caffeine to before 1 or 2 p.m. in the afternoon and preferably no more caffeine afternoon, that being, you know, 12 noon. Also think about all the other ways in which we're getting caffeine. We tend to think about coffee. Of course, tea has caffeine. Even green tea that is considered more healthful does have caffeine. And then there are other things in our diet, including chocolate, for example, that have caffeine. So be mindful of the caffeine in your diet. I love uh, body scan meditation. So even if you don't engage in a meditation or meditative practice before bedtime, if you're having trouble sleeping, consider a body scan meditation. And this is a type of meditation in which you literally and mindfully scan your body everywhere from your head to your toe. Bringing attention to your body does two things. One, it points out areas of tension. So oftentimes our eyebrows are raised, our jaws are clenched, even our sphincters, our anal sphincters are clenched. And this results kind of in a heightened and more alert state. So bringing attention to your body and literally focusing on relaxing every muscle, every area, every body part will get your body in a more relaxed and restful sleep. The second thing that a body scan meditation does is it literally brings your attention out of your mind and into your body. I always talk about that constant buzzing that we have in our minds, right? Oftentimes before sleep, it is a time where everything comes up to the surface and we're ruminating and processing what has happened during the day. But when you bring attention to your body, you literally are taking attention away from your thoughts and away from your mind, because we cannot be in two places at once. So the body scan meditation is a really effective way of kind of shutting down our mind and our thoughts for the evening and getting ourselves into our body and ready for sleep. And finally, I want to point out a cognitive strategy called CBTI. So this is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And many of you may know about CBT in other aspects of your life. There are practitioners who provide CBT like mental health professionals for depression or habit change. But there are also strategies for insomnia, including modules and apps that you can sign on to and do on your own. So if you're really struggling with insomnia, I do recommend CBTI. And believe it or not, this has become number one in our guidelines, in national sleep guidelines and our physician guidelines to be above and beyond pharmacologic sleep aids. So CBTI is known to be more effective than uh, pills or pharmacologic sleep aids for sleep. So check it out if you're having uh, difficulty, uh, real difficulty with your sleep. Finally, and as always, don't strive for perfection. We don't have to be perfect in order to be effective. Even small changes in your sleep 
are positive changes and can have a beneficial impact on your physical and emotional well-being. So that's a wrap on our conversation today on sleep. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Health Bite. If you feel it was of value, please share it with a friend and subscribe for future episodes. I believe wholeheartedly that knowledge is power. And I have created many spaces in order to uplift and empower you. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Adrian Udeem, where I post daily musings on health and well-being. You can also go to my website, www.dradrianudeem, that's D-R-A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-Y-O-U-D-I-M.com, where you can find content, links to my book, Hungry for More, as well as the companion journaling course I've created, as well as signing up for my weekly newsletter. Wishing you a happy and healthy week. Until next time. Bye-bye.